Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. The strong, the powerful John Scott has returned to Money Savage. Welcome back, John. Hey, great to be here, George. Yeah, good to be talking to you again. John is the director of the Retirement Savings Project at the Pew Charitable Trusts. Uh, John, refresh our memory. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, so I uh, direct the Retirement Savings Project at the Pew Charitable Trusts, which is a nonprofit research organization that focuses on you know providing evidence-based solutions for policy problems. And I've had a sort of a varied career um, in the pensions field. I've been a pension attorney, and then I did some policy advocacy, and then uh, a little bit of uh, university teaching for a while. And, and that sort of helped me get to Pew, where I could sort of combine the research and the policy and, and sort of the, the technical or legal background into, into one package. So um, it's been a been a long ride, but it's really uh, been a fun one. And that's, that's why I do what I do. Nice. I appreciate that very much. There's so much... So much uh, worthwhile, so many interesting uh, topics that that y'all can be focused on and probably are focused on. What is what is top of mind, or what are you working on right now? Well, we are working on uh, what I think is a pretty interesting uh, survey that we completed a little earlier on the contingent workforce. And you know, I should pause a little bit and say. You know, lots of different names for this segment of the labor force, contingent workers, independent workers. Basically, we're talking about workers who are not W-2 employees, and that encompasses a lot of folks, the gig worker, the temp help agency worker, the freelancer, sole proprietor, day laborer, all kinds of folks that are wrapped up into that label. Um, What I think they have in common is that not being traditional employees, they generally don't have access to employer-provided benefits. And while there's a lot of debate about how big this segment of the workforce is and whether or not it's growing in this economy or not, um, we are focused on how can we get these kinds of workers uh, to achieve a more secure financial future. And so that's what our survey was about. Yeah, I uh, yeah. Are, are, I'm sure that there's a million different guesses, but is there some kind of an agreed upon chunk of the population, 10%, 20%, 50%? Yeah, it's that's the, the fascinating thing is that, you know, because it's all based on surveys mm-hmm. that different uh, uh, ways of asking the question and then different uh, samples, you know, it varies from roughly 25 to 40%, you know, given in that range is the workforce. And and I think equally interesting is whether or not it's growing. And some people say it has been growing over the past 10 to 20 years and other people have said, no, it's not. So there's, there's a lot of research being done, but no clear answers yet on how big it is and whether or not it's, it's a growing, but it's, you know, even at the low end of that estimate, you know, 25% of the working population, that's a lot of people in this country. So, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that certainly is. 
if, if I were just to have guessed, I, I would have guessed that of, of, of course it's growing, but there's people out there that say that it's not. Um, what is the wisdom on that? I, I think that when you, you know, I mentioned that there's a diversity of kinds of work within that umbrella term of contingent work. And I think there's probably growth in different parts of that. Um, so like, for example, gig workers, you know, my daughter uh, drives for DoorDash on occasion when she's uh, home from college. And I think a lot of people have been doing that kind of sort of the online platform work. Um, and that's probably been growing. But overall, it's a pretty small segment uh, of labor force, I understand, and that the gig uh, economy part is maybe less than 5% of the workforce. Hmm. So while it's growing, it's not having a huge impact on the overall number of contingent workers. You know, there's a lot of sole proprietors. We don't really think of sole proprietors, you know, people who have their own business or independent contractors. Um, they're a lot bigger uh, in terms of, of the workforce. And they, I think, you know, have generally held pretty steady. So there's a lot of fluidity. And of course, this year has just been crazy with, with furloughs and layoffs and um, people moving in and out of different kinds of jobs during this pandemic. So I, I think there's going to be a lot more information coming down the pike as we, we study this period. Got it. Interesting. All right. So whatever that number is, uh, one of the main challenges or, or certainly a big challenge is that they do not have access to traditional employee benefits like healthcare, whatever that, and, and many other things, but you're specifically focused on how can we potentially get them covered by some kind of retirement plan? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, the first step in that process is understanding who has access, what do they look like? And then what are for those that either don't have access or even if they have access to a retirement plan, if, if they're not participating and there are some of those, um, what's keeping people from saving for retirement. So, um, as I mentioned, we did a survey earlier, uh, in 2020 and, what was really interesting about the survey is, you know, this sort of goes back to what does this contingent worker or workforce look like? Um, we sort of created these categories of types of contingent workers. So about 25% of the sample um, just has one contingent uh, job. You know, their only job is being in the contingent workforce. So that's about 25%. Um, 38% have a traditional W-2 employee job, but they also have a, a contingent job, you know, whether to supplement their income or, uh, you know, or something like that, but they're combining traditional work with contingent work. That's about 38%. And then another roughly 38% have multiple contingent jobs. They're doing a number of different things, um, you know, from maybe uh, a day laborer for a landscaping business to, you know, driving for DoorDash or Uber or something like that. So we broke it down that way, and that helps us understand a little bit more about who has access to a retirement plan and who doesn't. Overall, about a third of the sample has access to a workplace-based retirement plan. Um, and, I, and I should note, if you throw in those who have access to a plan but they're not eligible, like they don't have enough hours um, worked, that drops to less than 30%. So it's a pretty low number overall. Um, those that do have access, because I, I think maybe a lot of people are thinking, well, who does have access if they're a contingent worker? Those are the folks that have that mix of the traditional W-2 job, and they're also working at a contingent job. And 58% uh, of that group um, have access to a plan. So 
you know, if you're sort of working a traditional job and a contingent job, your odds of having, you know, the ability to save for retirement through, you know, like a 401k are a lot higher. But conversely, those that are just doing contingent work, whether, you know, independent contractor, they just have that one uh, job or people are throwing together a whole bunch of gig like work, their their chances are much, much lower. So, you know, I think that's one of the key takeaways is trying to understand that this workforce is pretty diverse. It's sort of fluid. So we have to really sort of hone in on, um, you know, with the kind of work they're doing and, and how they can access um, a retirement benefit through a job. Is there is there data, 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 wisdom on, on even if that 38% who in, in so the 38% that have multiple contingent jobs, these are the folks that don't have access to a worksite plan, correct? Very, very low access. Yes. Even yeah. if they did, do, do we think that they'd be in a position to be saving? Well, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so, you know, the one thing that we do know is that when looking at the sample, I said, you know, some people do have access to a job and when they are eligible, um, 78% participate. So hmm. it's a pretty high participation rate once, yeah. you know, if they do have it and they're eligible. So it does show, at least for some of these workers, there is a demand um, for retirement savings. But we did ask the question, uh, you know, and we asked this of, of everybody. Um, we just said, what are, what are the barriers you're facing in trying to save for retirement? And this was asked of people that do have access to a plan and, and those that don't. Because we also, in addition to sort of asking about workplace plans, we said, are you saving for retirement outside, you know, through an individual retirement account? And there was very low, just over 20% have an IRA. So we just said, well, in general, what's what are the barriers that you're facing in trying to save? And really, you know, about 60%, the overwhelming answer was they don't have enough income. Um, they're really stretched financially to fund a few extra dollars to put away into an IRA or a 401k. And that dwarfed all the other possible responses like student debt or credit card debt or you know, competing uh, desire to save for a house or something like that. The one thing I would sort of just toss in there, so we understand that people are stretched don't feel like they can save, but roughly 20% or so said they were either not thinking about retirement uh, or they don't know how to save. So I think, you know, there, I think we have a little bit of an opening to do some education. You know, I imagine a lot of these folks are probably younger. You can imagine sort of younger people not thinking about retirement because it's so far away, or they're just not as familiar with, you know, retirement benefits. Um, so I think maybe there's an opening there with, you know, a decent minority of this population to sort of give them some education. But um, but I think for the other folks who say, well, I don't really have enough money, um, I think part of that may be a perception. You know, I certainly feel that even low to moderate income workers could probably save a little bit. Um, but the, the next question is, how do we do that? Right. <laughs> So certainly no money, which is a big question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whether or not that's actually really true or not, you know, that's that's going to be up to them, I suppose. Twenty percent say no, no knowledge, or I just I, I just don't necessarily understand that. So how do we answer that big question then that, that you just yeah, asked? I think there, 
Yeah, no, I think there's this is something we're going to be doing for the future, and I'm, I don't really have a lot of data right now to talk about it. But it, but I think just to suggest some some research lines, you know, one of the things that we do want to pursue is, you know, go to these folks and say, in this situation, do you think you'd want to sign up for the retirement plan, or do you think you'd be able to save for retirement? And the idea here is to say, well, if you took a job and were you know offered the chance to sign up for a 401k plan, or if you were automatically enrolled, would you stay in the plan? Another option might be to explore their willingness to have um, uh, contributions automatically taken out of a bank account or some sort of you know financial app that might be managing their money. Or you know a third avenue might be working through the tax code. Um, a lot of these folks, like the sole proprietors and the independent contractors, have to file quarterly estimated payments. Uh, to the Internal Revenue Service, is there a way we can leverage that touch point with the government to say, hey, how about diverting 5% over to an IRA um, or something like that? So we like to sort of test out some different ways where they have an opportunity to divert some of their current income into a savings program. Um, So we're still working through that. But I think the other issue will be, especially for the folks who say they don't have enough money or they think they don't have enough money, is maybe try and frame this in a little bit different way. You know, I, I of course, think retirement benefits are incredibly sexy and interesting, um, but not everybody <laughs> does. So maybe it's just reframing the question a little bit, especially for to sort of tap into this anxiety about not having enough income, uh, reframing the idea of uh, saving for emergency savings. And so, you know, that could be used for retirement, but if you needed them in a pinch, um, you'd have access to them. And so we'd like to explore that sort of framing saying, hey, let's put some money aside. You still have it. And if, if, you know, your job income runs short a particular month, you can draw out of that if you need to. But it's going to be there um, in an IRA, like a Roth IRA for the long term. So I think we'd like to explore that framing and maybe a couple other framings to see can we source, you know, get people to say, hey, I think I can put a little bit of money away because I, I, I feel like I'll have control of it and can get it when I need it. That's a, so it wouldn't necessarily, well, perhaps it would be some kind of a, some kind of a qualified account, but it would have more liquidity to it. Or are we just, are we talking about potentially coming up with a, a, a new account of some kind? Yeah. You know, of course the devil's always in the details. Um, I think the last time I talked to you, um, I discussed these in brief, these state-facilitated auto IRA programs, which are basically just Roth IRAs, and people are saving, um, uh, you know, roughly about 5% of their pay. And But typically, the contributions go first into sort of a, a principal uh, preservation fund, like a money marketing fund like that, which they can sort of, you know, they don't lose any money. Um, the principal is safe. And different states do it differently, but you might imagine, you know, the first thousand dollars goes into that. And then it, after that, it spills over into a target date fund uh, that mixes bonds and equities uh, to get more of a return. But, you know, there in that model, you could apply offering something like that to this contingent workforce saying, you know, the first thousand dollars is there safe for you if you really need it. Um, then after that, it's going to be invested for the long term. So I, I think there are a lot of details that we could probably you know work through and, and think through that might be appealing. And I, and I think that's the role of research here is to really try and understand 
what are the pain points for people, you know, when they, they give up money, you know, we all, we all feel some pain when we put money away, we spend money, we like to hold on to it. So how can we sort of, sort of reduce that pain level? Um, and that's what we'd like to test in the future here at Pew. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this has certainly been a, a time where we're really questioning lots of big institutions like working from home or just, just, just remote work. We're questioning the electoral college. We're, we're questioning, <laughs> we're questioning how we police. Um, and I'm, I don't have a, an opinion on this necessarily one way or another, but certainly this is, this is another one. And COVID's now been an opportunity for, well, I don't know if the term is opportunity, but it's, it's shining a, a brighter light on the fact that there's so many of our fellow Americans who are at risk and um, probably uh, probably a good time to be having these conversations. And, you know, is it is it going to be incumbent upon the states to continue with with these initiatives? Is, is there an opportunity to 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 revisit Social Security and perhaps to try to make that a little bit more robust? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, this is uh, th- this is probably the one silver lining to the pandemic is that it really has, as you said, you know, shown a light on some of these issues. Um, and I think it has jump started a conversation around financial security, both, you know, in the short term, but also for the long term. And, um, you know, certainly with the contingent workforce, you know, you have a lot of folks that aren't paying into it. Uh, they are not um uh paying uh you know they're responsible especially the sole proprietors and the independent contractors they're responsible for both the quote-unquote employer and employee share of the social security tax and that's that's a lot um and so a lot of people don't do it and so not only you know we're talking about saving for retirement in an ira or 401k but in even more basic um uh, safety net is social security and if people aren't paying into it you know thinking they need the money now it's it's going to be a really brutal um, awakening when they hit 65 or 67 um and so i think we need to both shore up social security as a society make sure it's financially stable for the long term but i think we do need to address some of these issues of people who are you know especially if this if this workforce and i don't have a firm opinion about it but if there if it is a growing share uh of the overall economy um it's a really important thing we need to do is to make sure these people are set with social security uh, as well as their own individual savings yeah yeah at some point i think we're going to reach a point where at some point we're going to reach a point <laughs> where 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 there's going to be uh where people are going to be compelled to be saving for, for, for the long term. Otherwise, so I guess the taxpayers are going to be left holding the bag for, for lots and lots and lots of people, especially as that percentage of contingent workers continues to grow. So absolutely, that'll give us more stuff to talk about, John. <laughs> I think we'll, I think we'll be talking about these issues for a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go out of business. No, no, <laughs> probably term, not. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, John, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Well, I, I would imagine there are probably at least a few of your listeners who are independent contractors, um, you know, sole proprietors, doing some gig, gig work, and, and maybe they're part of this 60-some percent that don't feel they can put money away um, for retirement. And, and I would say, you know, try and take that extra step, take that 10 minutes to set up an IRA through a bank or some online uh, financial service company that you work with and do sort of a, a, 
regular deduction from your bank account. It's something I do for my college savings plan for my kids. It comes out every month and it's, it works like clockwork. I don't have to worry about it. And even if you start off small, you know, this is one thing we really stress about savings by low to moderate income uh, workers. You know, even a small amount can make a huge difference in people's lives. And we talked about emergency savings. If they can just save 500 or $1,000 or a little bit more, you know, if your car breaks down and you can't get to work, you know, unless you get that car repaired, you know, a $700 bill, having a little buffer, building up that buffer can make a big difference in people's lives. So, you know, take that extra 10 minutes, start that automatic deduction from your bank account uh, and get it done and, and you'll be very happy over the long run. Well, I think that is great stuff. That definitely hits. Come on. Come on. Journey of a thousand miles. John begins with a single step. So we just got to get started. Totally agree. Thanks for coming back on. Tell us again where Savage Nation can learn more about you. Uh, well, thanks for having me, George. And you can certainly go to the Pew Trust website, uh, which is Pew, P-E-W-T-R-U-S-T-S uh, dot O-R-G, pewtrust.org. And just, or just Google Pew Charitable Trust Retirement Savings, and that'll take you as well. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show John your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to pewtrusts.org. I'll list that in the notes of the show. Thanks again, John. Thank you, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right.